Our scripture reading today is from Psalm 71. In you, O Lord, do I take refuge. Let me never be put to shame. In your righteousness, deliver me and rescue me. Incline your ear to me and save me. Be to me a rock of refuge to which I may continually come. You have given the command to save me, for you are my rock and my fortress. Rescue me, O my God, from the hand of the wicked, from the grasp of the unjust and cruel man. For you, O Lord, are my hope, my trust. O Lord, from my youth upon you I have leaned from before my birth. You are he who took me from my mother's womb. My praise is continually of you. I have been as a portent to many, but you are my strong refuge. My mouth is filled with your praise and with your glory all the day. Do not cast me off in the time of old age. Forsake me not when my strength is spent. For my enemies speak concerning me. Those who watch for my life consult together. And they say, God has forsaken him. Pursue and seize him, for there is none to deliver him. O oh God, be not far from me. O oh my God, make haste to help me. May my accusers be put to shame and consumed. With scorn and disgrace may they be covered who seek my hurt. But I will hope continually and will praise of you yet more and more. My mouth will tell of your righteous acts, of your deeds of salvation all the day, for their number is past my knowledge. With the mighty deeds of the Lord God, I will come. I will remind them of your righteousness, yours alone. O oh God, from my youth you have taught me, and I still proclaim your wondrous deeds. So even to old age and gray hairs, O oh God, do not forsake me, until I proclaim your might to another generation, your power to all those to come. Your righteousness, O oh God, reaches the high heavens. You who have done great things, O oh God, who is like you? You who have made me see many troubles and calamities will revive me again. From the depths of the earth, you will bring me up again. You will increase my greatness and comfort me again. I will also praise you with the harp for your faithfulness, O oh my God. I will sing praises to you with a lyre. O oh, Holy One of Israel, my lips will shout for joy when I sing praises to you. My soul also, which you have redeemed, and my tongue will talk of your righteous help all the day long. For they have been put to shame and disappointed those who sought to do me hurt. This is the word of the Lord. All right, thank you, Maggie, for reading that passage. Thank you, Elizabeth, for that water. All right, this is a psalm of lament. We've been in the sermon series, putting the psalms to work, where we've been looking at different genres of biblical poetry, particularly in the book of Psalms, and we come today to a psalm of lament. And I love that this kind of psalm is in the canon of Scripture. And the reason I love that is because it is a way for the Lord to tell us that this is an acceptable way to talk to him, uh, to lament, to bear our sorrows and our, and our pains to him with our words, and even to express uh, confusion and frustration, not only with our circumstances, but to confess confusion and frustration even with him. 
And the psalm teaches us how to do that. We, we live in a hard world. We live in a hard world. And part of how we navigate living in a hard world, like ours, honestly, involves learning how to grieve and how to respond to the pain and the confusion and the frustration and the loss and the discouragement that we encounter in this life. C.S. Lewis wrote in his book, A Grief Observed, these words. He said, the exact same thing is never taken away and then given back. The exact same thing is never taken away and then given back. Sometimes when we encounter some sort of suffering or problem, we long to go back to a time before that was in play. We want to go back to the life that we knew before that thing came along. And even though our previous circumstances were, were, had problems of their own, at least we, we felt like we knew how to navigate those seasons. It's, it's kind of as the old saying goes, the devil you know is better than the devil you don't, right? But when Jesus told us, in this world, you will have trouble, Lewis is observing that we're never given back what is taken away, not in its original form. And what he's suggesting, and I think what the psalm is suggesting, is that we should receive that truth as a mercy rather than a defeat. Because as Rich Mullins said, this is the kind of stuff that shakes us forward and shakes us free. But what do we do with our sorrow? That's the question. What do we do, many though those sorrows may be? What does spiritual maturity look like when it comes to voicing our frustration to the Lord, when it comes to voicing our sorrow to him? It looks like lament. And that is the substance of Psalm 71. So I'll tell you a personal story of walking through this Myself. Nine years ago, when I was recovering from open heart surgery to repair a failed mitral valve, I spent regular time with my friend Barbara, Barbara Ambrose. Some of you may know Barbara. Um, Barbara passed away from cancer a number of years ago, and she was facing that at the time. She'd gone a couple rounds with cancer, and it had gone into remission, and now it was back, and it returned with this vengeance. And so here was me, I was working hard to climb out of my own frailty through attending cardiac rehab at the Diani Center at Vanderbilt. And Barbara was a couple buildings away going through cancer treatment at Vanderbilt Medical Center. And sometimes my cardiac rehab and her radiation would happen around the same time and we would meet up at a coffee shop to talk afterwards. Barbara and I were in the same small group at, at, at our church, and we were friends, and we were both believers in Jesus and survivors. And so when we would meet for coffee, we would compare notes. We'd talk about our procedures, and we'd talk about pro progress that we were making, setbacks, but really we talked a lot about the spiritual experience of walking through suffering. 
And Barbara was strong, strong. Scripture just poured out of her when she talked. It was the overflow of what she had hidden in her heart in years of walking by faith. And during one of our coffee meetings early, I told Barbara that I I sensed in my suffering the nearness and the goodness of God. That, That I had this experience where I just really didn't question at all his goodness or his love. And that I felt that this travail that I was walking through had somehow strengthened my affection for him. And it revealed more of his love for me. And Barbara nodded and she said, you know, that, that's, that's what I felt when I, when I was first told I had cancer too. Uh, the Lord seems so close. And I, I didn't always understand, but I trusted him implicitly and it was a holy time. You don't know how you're going to respond to suffering until you're in it. And the peace that I felt was so clear. And then she paused and she said, I do not feel that way this time. I believe God loves me. I believe he is good. But I have a lot of questions and I have a few complaints. I don't know why this time around feels different, but it does. When I was first diagnosed, she said, I was accustomed to feeling invincible. I was determined that I was going to fight this cancer and that I was going to win, and that's exactly what I did. After surgery, chemotherapy, and losing my hair, my cancer went into remission. But now it's back, and I am confused. And I don't understand why God is doing this. I really don't. That's the voice of lament. That's the voice of lament. Here's what lament is. In the Bible, lament is complaint bound to faith. It is confusion bound to trust. It is petition bound to allegiance. Let me give those to you again. It's a complaint that is bound to faith. It is confusion that is bound to trust. It is petition that is bound to allegiance. And Psalm 71 gives us an example of this. This is a biblical lament. And so I want to look at what it says and how it's structured. We read the thing in its entirety. I'm going to group a lot of things together in order to kind of distill down the structure of a lament. But, but here's what happens. A lament opens by addressing God. And so that's what you read in verses 1 through 3. The psalmist says the Lord is his refuge. He is the one who can deliver him. So that's where he starts. The address to God is then followed by a complaint. And so this is verse 4. He says he needs to be delivered from the grasp of wicked, unjust, and cruel men. The complaint is followed by a confession of trust. This is verses 5 through 8. He says, God is his hope, 
and has been since he was a child and his mouth is filled with praise about God and his character and his reliability. So there's this confession of trust. So you have an address to God, verses 1 to 3, a complaint, verse 4, a confession of trust, verses 5 through 8. The confession of trust is followed by an appeal for God to intervene, help. And this is verses 9 through 13. He says, don't cast me off. Lord, don't be far from me. Instead, help me. Judge righteously. Shame those who accuse me falsely. And then it ends, this is verses 14 to 24, so the bulk of the psalm. It ends with a vow to trust and praise God no matter what the outcome is. And so he says, I will hope in you, I will praise you more and more, I will tell of the mighty deeds that you have already done. Even if you don't come through for me right now in the way that I hope to, I will still tell people of your faithfulness that has already been on display. I'll tell others of your righteousness. I know that you see me, I know that you know my pain. And I know that you are acting even now, I know you will comfort me. So that's the structure of a biblical lament. I'll summarize it again. There's an address to God, verses 1 to 3. So you address God, you state your complaint, verse 4. You confess your trust in God, verses 5 to 8. You appeal for God's intervention, 9 to 13. And you vow to trust and praise God no matter the outcome. That's a biblical lament. How do you use something like this in prayer? What's the value of it? Lamentation, I mean, there's a book in the Bible called Lamentation, right? So lamentation is a part of worship. It's something that the Lord is keen to instruct us in. Because, as Jesus said, in this world you will have trouble. It's that part of us that cries out over the sorrow and the suffering and the relational brokenness by which we have all been hurt. That part of us that just says, this, is, this, this hurts. It hurts to experience this. It hurts to walk through this. Lamentation is a part of how we heal. And it's a vital part of our worship and healing. How so? I want to give us nine ways, quickly. I'll, I'll do these quickly. Nine ways that lament helps us worship. The first is this. Lament freely acknowledges the limitation of living in a broken body and a fallen world while at the same time affirming the value of both. So when we lament, we're freely acknowledging the brokenness of the world, the brokenness in us, and yet we're acknowledging it in a holy way that is affirming the sanctity and the value of both of those things. That's one. Second, lamentation grants us permission to protest the sorrows over which we grieve. We don't have to pretend that the things that hurt don't hurt. We can acknowledge, no, no, there's a protest rising up inside of me that wants to say, this isn't right. So it grants us permission to protest the sorrows over which we grieve. Third, it empowers the weak and the vulnerable by giving us something constructive to do 
with our pain. So we have this pain inside of us. What do we do with it? There are lots of destructive things we could do with it. But what lamentation does is it gives us something constructive to do with it. And that is talk to God about it. And lay ourselves at his feet with it. Four. Lamentation prepares us to think in new ways about ourselves, our invincibility, our ability to see the field clearly. It also uh, prepares us to think in new ways about God. Maybe God is turning out to not be who I thought he was. Here's, if, you're, if you're a young person here, here's something I will promise you. If you walk with the Lord over the course of your life, there will be many times when God will show himself to be not who you thought he was. And then you'll have to do something with that. And usually it's through suffering and pain and and brokenness and hurt and betrayal and your own sin and the sins of others and unmet expectations, and the list could go on and on. I see a lot of heads nodding. That That's how it works. And one of the things that lamentation does is it gives us a way to acknowledge, God, I have to think differently about you because I thought that you would do these things, and it turns out you're not doing these things. And so help me understand that. Fifth, lamentation affirms our responsibility to care for our own hearts. We have to do something with our pain. So we don't want to just become calcitrant. We don't want to just harden ourselves. We need to do something with it. And we have a responsibility to do something with it. And in the pages of scripture, we're given lamentation. Do that with it. Sixth, yeah, sixth. It brings our anger and our desire for satisfaction under the scrutiny of truth rather than letting them, our anger and desire for satisfaction, run wild to become a thirst for revenge. Lamentation brings our anger and desire for satisfaction under the scrutiny of truth. And that protects us. It protects us from bitterness. It protects us from becoming jaded cynics. Seven, lamentation, I love this one. This is what Barbara and I were doing. Lamentation creates fellowship and empathy with other sufferers. We aren't the only ones who suffer. And we disrespect other people's pain if we move through life as though we're the only ones who hurt. So it creates fellowship and empathy with other sufferers. Eight, it creates a context for us to honestly express genuine praise and genuine hope for the renewal of all things and for rescue. In lamentation, we are saying in our complaint and in our frustration and in our our pain that God is worthy of being praised, even in the midst of these things. So it creates a context for us to honestly express genuine praise and hope without having whitewashed what it is that we're experiencing. And then finally, nine, lamentation moves us through a process of mourning while honoring the fact that the process takes time 
and it leads us to insights that we may have yet to gain. So lamentation is a process that we enter into of saying, this is gonna take a minute. It's gonna take some time to get through this. For Barbara, the frustration that she felt and her trust in God didn't contradict one another. Her vow to praise him wasn't contingent on how God responded to her. That round of cancer that she was battling when she and I met together was the round that took her life. But what did she do? She prayed to God because she believed that he was deeply involved in her life, even though she didn't understand what he was doing. She prayed to him. She appealed to God. She appealed to him because she believed that he had the ability to help her, to deliver her. So she prayed to him, she appealed to him, and she complained to him because she trusted that he loved her and wanted good things for her. Barbara told me that one of the gifts of her suffering was that the particular kind of suffering that she had is it gave her time to sit with her sorrow. She had time to grieve over her cancer. And also she had time to begin the work of mourning it, of entering into that active process of letting go of the relationships and the dreams and the routines that her cancer had either changed or taken. And when she and I would talk, I was there, I was the rookie. I was the rookie, full of that same invincibility that she felt when she was first diagnosed. And I believed that I was going to emerge on the other side of my suffering just better and stronger than before, and that was exactly what I was doing. But her vulnerability with me humbled me. Because what she was saying is she was saying, your affliction is not some test to pass. It's not some test that simply exists to build our character. Your affliction beats you up. It changes us. It sobers us. It raises ultimate questions for us. And after listening to her honest lament, it made me wonder if I was making some sort of game out of my own suffering, like it was a test to pass or a story to tell at church. It's sacred business, this fragility of life. And Barbara wanted me to respect that, and she wanted me to acknowledge it. Here was a woman who loved her Lord, but she had some questions and she wanted him to address her questions, even though she knew she couldn't demand that God give an account of himself to her. But she wanted to know why. Why are you letting me suffer like this? Is it spiritual warfare? Is it a trick of the devil? Is it somehow a way to serve him, the Lord? And if so, had he ever considered how it might look to the rest of us? These are the questions of lament. And scripture says, ask them. But don't ask them rhetorically. Don't ask them like Pontius Pilate saying, what is truth? And then waving it away and turning. 
ask your questions, but ask them in the context of a lament where we address God, we state our complaint, we confess our trust in him, we appeal for his intervention, and we vow to trust him no matter what the outcome is. Her honesty sobered me because she walked me into the realm of honest lamentation. We don't need to mask our pain to protect God's reputation. And we don't need to pretty it up in prayer for fear that we're going to offend him by it. Lament is a necessary skill in the art of rejoicing. It is a fundamental of emotional wellness. When we voice our sorrow, sometimes God gives us real help, like an applicable scripture, truth, or the patience and presence of a friend, or clarity. Lament is part of the practice of rejoicing before the Lord. And our prayers of lament never come back empty. And here's how we know that. Though we may not see clearly how God is specifically working in the midst of our present sufferings, the ones we voice to him in our prayers of lament, the complaints that we bring, here's what we know. We know full well how he has responded to the problem of suffering and to the problem of pain. And we know what the ultimate outcome of how he's addressed it will be. How did he address it? He sent his son to live a perfectly righteous life in our place, to die a sinner's death on our behalf, to defeat the power of sin and death by rising again, and to give us life in his name when our faith is in him. He has redeemed and rescued us by his grace on the cross. So what does that mean? It, mean it's, it means that ultimately, here will be the outcome of the pain and the suffering that you walk through, which you can voice to the Lord in complaint and trust him for the outcome, because here is ultimately the outcome. Revelation 21. I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man and he will dwell with them and they will be his people and God himself will be with them as their God and he will wipe away every tear from their eyes and death will be no more neither shall there be mourning or crying or pain anymore for those former things have passed away. And he who was seated on the throne said, behold, I am making all things new. Let's pray. Lord, we confess that we make much of our hurts and our sorrows, and we make little of you often, to respond to them and to address them. Thank you, Lord, that we're not just hoping that you might respond in some way, but that what we have in the story and the life and the ministry of Jesus 
is a very clear picture of how you have already responded to our suffering and our sorrow and pain in such a way that we know the outcome of mourning and crying and pain and death. And that is that they will be no more. That day is coming as sure as you live. So, Father, in the meantime, help us to be people who, when we have sorrows and frustrations to complain about, that we would bring them to you. Lord, we thank you so much that you have honored and dignified the reality of the struggle of living in a broken world by placing in the canon of your holy word prayers where we complain to you and that you haven't rebuked your people for using them, but instead you have given us ways to go about that that honor the reality of the sorrow and the hurt, but also honor the reality of your power and holiness. So teach us how to do that, Lord. Teach us how to do that. And we thank you for your kindness and mercy in all these things. It's in your name, Jesus, we pray. Amen.